But as you're getting settled, um, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 16 for one more, one more trip down um, that chapter. We were in this same chapter last week. We kicked off a two-part sermon titled Dealing with Family Dysfunction. And so just to make sure we're all on the same page, or if you didn't happen to be here uh, last week, I'll, let me give, give a quick recap to kind of bring us all up to speed. Now, let me say, if you, did, if you weren't here and you did miss that, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. It'll, it'll, it'll provide uh, fuller context to what we're talking about today. But, but here are the cliff notes to kind of what we covered last week. We began to look at this story of Abraham and Sarah here in Genesis 16 and their unfortunate, sinful decision to, to help God out by having a, a baby outside of their marriage with Hagar, who was Sarah's handmaid. And they thought they needed to kickstart the promise that God had given them for a new nation to begin through Abraham's seed. And, and as we discussed, you know, they decided to take things into their own hands. And the application of human solution to issues that need divine intervention always lead to bigger problems. And that was certainly the case in this situation because that decision that Abraham and Sarah made not only caused major dysfunction within their own family, it caused major dysfunction that the world is still, still feeling today over 4,000 years later because you know the turmoil in the Middle East between Israel and the Arab nations goes back to this event. The baby that Hagar had, Ishmael, the father of the Ishmaelites or the Arabians, you know, the enemies of Israel. Uh, but what we got out of that story was an important family portrait for us and in our homes because that bad decision that Abraham and Sarah made, through it, God showed us four primary sources of dysfunction within a family, in, in a home. And it all began with faithless restlessness. They grew impatient with the Lord and did not trust him to fulfill his word, to keep his promise. You see, Abraham had it. He had a promise from God that, that God had given him multiple times, actually. And that it was his seed was going to be innumerable as the dust of the earth, as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. But it wasn't happening. And 10 years had gone by since he first received the promise. And, and Abraham and Sarah were looking at things through their human eyes. And, and they saw some issues with this situation they were, they were getting old. We all feel it when it happens. And time was ticking. So instead of just waiting on the Lord and trusting his word, they grew restless. They took things into their own hands. And that's just never a good idea. And we get restless because we lack faith and because we're full of the flesh. That's just the bottom line. The Bible says that Sarah knew it was God who restrained her. She knew that God was holding back her having a baby, but she still couldn't wait on the Lord like God's word instructs us to do. We looked at Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6, among many other verses last week that said, I wait on the Lord for my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. And they couldn't do that. They couldn't wait on God's word to come to pass. And then the second source of dysfunction within families that we saw out of Abraham and Sarah's story was fatal relationships, because Hagar was an Egyptian. And Egypt in the Bible is a picture of this world. And so through Hagar, they allowed the world to enter into their home. And as we talked about, many unsuspecting Christians do the very same, very same thing. 
And having a relationship with this world is fatal to a God-honoring home. And it can be tricky because that's what the world tries to do. It tries to trick us. And it tries to get us to think that it's even a good idea to be with them. And you know why the world does this? You know why the world tries to fool us and confuse us? Because it hates us. That's exactly right. Uh, let me read John 15, 19 for the third week in a row. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So any relationship with the world will be fatal to the harmony in our home and, and will be a source of dysfunction. So be on the lookout. It's seductive. So don't be seduced. Don't have a baby with the world. And then third, and, and maybe the primary source of dysfunction in the family, was that they flipped the roles within the marriage relationship because Sarah was leading, Abraham was following, and, and that goes against God's design for marriage. And Abraham followed even when what Sarah suggested was sinful, and he went along with it, and he, you know, he should have stopped him and, and stood up and said, listen, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to trust in the Lord. We're going to wait on the Lord. And the truth is that this problem resides in many homes today, even many Christian homes. And like I told you last week, it's not about who's capable of lead, leading or not. It's not about who's smarter or not. It's about God's design. And Abraham hearkened unto the voice of his wife, just like Adam hearkened unto the voice of Eve. And both of those mistakes resulted in great consequences that, again, are still being felt in the world today. And the same can be true of us and our homes, and maybe not at the magnitude of Adam or Abraham, but there can be lasting generational negative results in our family when we don't lead the way God designed. And then the fourth source of dysfunction in our families and our homes that we saw was their flawed responses. Because when dysfunction enters and sin occurs, we have a choice. We have a choice to, to make it right, to get it right with the Lord, or, or not. Or just keep moving down this wrong path that we're on. And the three main characters in our story all responded incorrectly, and their flawed, response us, their flawed responses showed us a picture of the three typical but wrong responses to sin in our home. Abraham's response was to forego. He foregoes his relationship to lead, or responsibility to lead and to get things right, and he just tells his wife to handle it. And we see that all the time today. And so she does. She handles it. And the way she handled it was to fight. The Bible says she dealt hardly with Hagar. And we talked about the damage of fighting in the home, especially ver the verbal sparring that occurs. And you know, we looked at 1 Peter 3.10 that says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. And that 1 Peter chapter 3, that beginning of that chapter is all the context of marriage. But then Hagar's response was to flee, and we, we will see this in much more detail this morning. This is really what we'll be talking about. But she's running away from her problem, and, and, and that's not the right answer either. Jesus wants us to come to him. And if you're troubled, don't run away. Run to the one place you can get help. That's what Jesus told us in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And those are the primary sources of dysfunction within a family that we studied last week. But today, 
we're going to see the solutions. And, and, and I think today's going to be very practical, and I, and I think very helpful if you'll listen and apply it. Um, I, you know, this, is, this is an important message that we're going to talk about this morning, and, and I think God has some important things to say to all of us today. And it's interesting, and it's very interesting, at least to me, that we see these solutions from God's interaction with Hagar. Because immediately following those first six verses and all the series of events we talked about, culminating with Hagar fleeing from Sarah, God goes to find Hagar. He doesn't go to talk to Abraham and Sarah, you know, his chosen people. He doesn't go to them. He goes to Hagar, and that's because he cares about everybody, even the outcast. And their interaction, God and Hagar's interaction, give us the solutions to dysfunction in the family. This is how we are to biblically deal with our problems in contrast to the flawed responses we saw in verse 6. So now that we're caught up, we've reviewed those sources of dysfunction, let's get into our passage this morning. And let's find out what the solutions are so that we can apply them in our life. We'll be reading Genesis 16, verses 7 through 14. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Berlehiroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today, and, and we come to you uh, needing to hear from you. Um, and Lord, we need to hear from you. We need to hear from your word. Nobody needs to hear from me, and so, Lord, I pray that that's exactly what happens, that you move me out of the way, that your Holy Spirit has free reign in our life, that we'll be sensitive to what you're saying, and, and Lord, that your word will pierce our hearts, and, and, and we'll be convicted, Lord, to live our life according to what your word has to say. There's areas that we all uh, need to hear from you in this message today, and so, Lord, I pray that you do just that, just do the work that only you can do. Lord, I pray that... Um, that everything that is said is true to your word. I pray that it's honoring to you, that you're glorified through it. And, and I pray for, for everybody here. I pray for all of us, Lord, that, that all of the families, all the husbands, all the fathers, all the mothers, all the wives, all the kids, Lord, that we can just begin to wrap our minds around what it means to really do things your way, to use your solutions in our problems. Um, again, just for your glory. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for who you are, for all you do, for all you have done. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, what we just read, at least to me, is, is a very, very interesting interaction between the angel of the Lord and Hagar. And this isn't, necess- this, what I'm about to say isn't exactly related 
um, to what we're going to talk about today, but I, I'd be negligent to not mention that this is the first mention of the angel of the Lord in the Bible. And, and anytime you see the angel of the Lord in the Bible, that is the pre-incarnate Christ. That is certainly the case here. That is the pre-incarnate Christ. And I'm not going to take time to really prove that to you this morning. That's, that's a different study. So you can believe me or not. You can do your own work on that. Um, or not. But, but, but very quickly, before we kind of get into really where we're going with this, we do know from Scripture that God the Father, God the Holy Spirit are never seen. The only member of the Trinity seen on this earth is the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.18 says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he had declared him. And yet Jesus also said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John 14.9, Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you, and hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? And you say, wait, that's a contradiction. No, that's the Trinity. That's the, the proof of the deity of Christ. One of his names, according to Isaiah 9-6, is everlasting Father. And it, it may be a contradiction in your human calculation but this entire story is one that shows the problems with human calculations. We need to trust what God says. He's way smarter than either you or me. But again, Jesus can be seen. And when he was seen before he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, at least one of the ways, one of his titles was as the angel of the Lord. And it should come as no surprise that the angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, provides solutions. And that is the family portrait we're going to see this morning. Solutions to dysfunctions in the family and in your home and honestly in your life. Even if you're single, this is for everyone. And here's where it starts. If you ever want to break out of the dysfunction in your home and in your life, you must arrive at the source of true counsel. You must arrive at the source of true counsel because where does the angel of the Lord find Hagar? Look back at verses seven and eight. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. She was found by a fountain of water in the wilderness, in the way, in the way to shore. And there is just a beautiful picture here all around. You have to see it. The first appearance of Jesus Christ is to help and give the answer to a miserable Egyptian sinner who's downtrodden, and on her way back to Egypt. That's where she was going. Sure is located between Canaan and Egypt. She's coming out of Canaan. She's moving to Egypt. Genesis 25, 18 says, And they dwelt from Havilah unto Shur, that is before Egypt, as thou goest toward Assyria, and he died in the presence of all his brethren. But in that journey, she finds herself at a well of water in the way, in the way to Shur. But she was in the middle of the wilderness, which was a desert. 
They were in the Arabian desert. In fact, when Moses and the children of Israel were making their way to shore, they, through shore, they couldn't find any water. Exodus 15.22 says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of shore, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Yet somehow, Hagar stumbles across this fountain. But this was no coincidence because it's a picture. You see, a fountain of water pictures for us the intersection between God's spirit and God's word. That is the way. You might remember and there's another time in the Bible that we see Jesus interacting with a sinful woman at a fountain of water, the Samaritan woman in, in John chapter 4. Listen, the symmetry in the Bible. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. But the context of, of John chapter 4, Jesus dealing with the woman at the well, is, is she sees, he sees this woman, he asks her to draw him water, and she's a little confused because she knew that he was a Jew and that she was a Samaritan. She even said in verse 9 of chapter 4, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus' answer to her was, if you really knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me for water. I'm asking you for water, but you would have asked me for water because I have living water. And he describes it further, starting in verse 13. The Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water that's in the well shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And that well of water springing up is a fountain. In fact, the word well in verse 14 is translated fountain many other times in the Bible. And the fountain is a picture of the Holy Spirit's work in our life as we ingest the water, a picture of God's word. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life as we ingest the water. Ephesians 5.26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. The water in the Bible is a picture of the word of God. And here is what you need to get from this. People go to a lot of places to find help and to find answers. But there is only one place that is true every single time for every single issue of life. And that is God's word. But listen, knowing what the word of God says isn't enough. There are a lot of people who know God's word very well, but their life, their marriage, their family is a mess. And that is because while they know God's word, there is no consistent application of God's word in their life and in their actions. And that only comes as you walk in the Spirit of God and you let him control your thoughts and control your actions according to what the Word of God says about you and your current situation. Listen, there's just no other way. And here's the, this is the sad thing. There are people out there in bad marriages and bad relationships there's dysfunction in their home and trouble in their relationship with their children. And they desperately, sincerely want help. I mean it. I've talked to many of them. 
and I've seen the tears. And they're in a terrible situation. And they hate it. And it breaks my heart for them. And they seek help in counselors and books and friends and medication, both physician-prescribed and self-prescribed. And then, sometimes, you know, usually lastly, but maybe eventually, a pastor. Because they desperately want their situation to change. But they won't accept the Bible and the work of the Spirit. Because, here's why, God's Word and God's Spirit demand that you change. They demand that you change. They demand that you die. And you, do you know who will never demand any of that of you? The world. The world and its philosophy and all of its counseling will tell you that you are the victim and that they should change and that they should apologize. And the truth is they probably should. But what does that have to do with you and Jesus? Nothing. And we'll get into this more in our next point. But did you notice that the angel of the Lord said nothing to Hagar about what Abraham and Sarah should do? Nothing. In fact, in verse 9, he tells her to return to the place where she was being treated unfairly with no promise that things would be different. I'm going to just chew on that for a little bit. And listen, I'm not saying that there aren't times when the Lord will tell you to leave. There may be. But how will you know if you do not arrive at the source of the one and only place of truth, of true counsel? You cannot trust what the world is telling you. Let me let you in on a secret. The world is lying to you. Because secretly, the world wants you to be miserable and wants you to be of no use to God. And do you know why it does this? Tell me. Because the world hates you. I'm going to keep saying it. You just need to get used to it. I'm going to keep saying it because we need to keep hearing it. It's the truth. It is what the Bible says. And we don't believe it. We don't live it. And I've said this a few times as well, but I'm going to say this again also. And I know very well that what I'm saying, what I just said, doesn't sit right with everybody. And it sounds wrong. And it maybe even sounds damaging. But that is only because you are using human calculations to try to reconcile what I'm saying. It doesn't work that way. You have to buy into and accept the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. You have to believe what it says about itself, and that is it is eternal and it is perfect. Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of fire, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from just this generation forever. We have God's perfect preserved words today. 
What else do we need? Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Psalm 119, verse 160, thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. You either believe it or you don't. And and I don't care what you say. Your life proves it. So let me just ask you, where do you go for your answers? When you need help, where can you be found? At the fountain of living water or at the fountain of the lying world? And then second, very simply, do you believe that the application of the Bible will solve your problems? Or does it just sound like magic to you, which isn't real? You know, how can reading the Bible and praying and then doing what it says, how can that be enough? That it doesn't make any sense. You're right. In your human calculations, it doesn't. But God works in the supernatural. And so too many people are, if, if I can't see it, then I can't believe it. And, and if that's you, then I can't help you. And God can't either. I wish I could. And it's so interesting. And, and this is awesome because all you have to do is arrive at the right place. And God's word will do all the work. You see, it was the angel of the Lord that found Hagar, not the other way around. But you have to be sincere and desire help God's way. And if you want that, if you sincerely and honestly desire that, he will find you. But if you don't want that, then you have to keep looking. And you got to keep seeking it on your own. So do it your way. God will let you. But there's no peace there. I promise you. Listen, for some of you, that's what you've been trying for years. How's it working? Are you better because of implementation of the world in your life? If no, why don't you give God a try? Why don't you give God's word a try? You have to do it God's way, and you have to be honest about it. This was the point of the angel of the Lord asking Hagar those questions in verse 8. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence, come, whence camest thou? And whither wilt thou go? Where'd you come from? And where are you going? And she said, I flee from the face of my, my mistress, Sarah. She was honest. But, but think about that. Did, did, did the angel of the Lord, did Jesus not know the answer to those questions? Did he need Hagar to tell him so he could figure out what to do next? No, of course not. He asked her those questions to get her to look within and to see if she would be honest with him. So it's the exact same thing God did with Adam. Right? Those questions get us, and God will do the same thing with us, to look within. He wants to know if we're going to be honest because how often are we not honest with him because we're not honest with ourselves. And we lie to ourselves because the truth hurts too much because we don't want to do it God's way, whatever it might be. So by extension, we then lie to God. 
man, don't do that. Just be honest. Look yourself in the mirror of God's word. Be honest with what you see. When God confronts us through his word and asks us some questions, and shows us our need for him and our need to do things his way, just own it. Just own it and accept it. And that brings us to the second solution to all of our dysfunction. Because once you hear from God and his word, once you arrive at the true source of counsel and God shows up and he gives you the answer, you have to act on what is correct. You have to act on what is correct. At the end of the day, you have to do what God says. Again, it's one, it's one thing to hear it, and it's a whole different thing to do it. You need to obey his word if you want it to work in your life. And that means you have to do right even if and when it does not feel right. That's exactly the situation Hagar found herself in. She hears from the Lord very clearly, but she now must decide if she's going to obey. I'm sure it wasn't what she wanted to hear. Look at verse 9. I've already alluded to it. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. He told her to go back and submit herself to her hands, which before was unfair treatment. She dealt hardly with her. And, you know, I obviously don't know, but I bet that was not easy to hear. But it was right. The sin occurred in Abraham's tent. It needed to be dealt with there. And listen very carefully. Conditions were not put on her return. So, so you, can, you can look at this a couple different ways. Because Sarah was the one who started this mess. I mean, Sarah was the one in the wrong, in, in the relation between Sarah and Hagar. Hagar was just following orders. I mean, Sarah was her master. So, so she was just following orders. Where's the fairness in that? And yet God tells her to return and to submit herself without any promise that Sarah would change her stance toward Hagar. But listen, that doesn't only apply to Hagar. 1 Peter 2.18 says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. And, and here is how this applies to us in our homes. When we're dealing with confrontation and dysfunction, specifically in our home, but, but also in any relationship, our normal response is, at least internally, like we may not admit this out loud verbally, but internally, here's how we're processing things. I will agree to do right as long as they do too. And I'll do right when they do. We don't want to obey God no matter what. We maybe will be willing to obey if that other person does too because that's only right. That's only fair. In whose eyes? So while, again, we may never admit this, we think, we believe that we have the right 
to disobey God until our conditions are met. We have the right to disobey God until our conditions are met, until things are done our way. Show me in the Bible where that is the case. I'll wait. Because it's not there. Everything in this life is about you and the Lord. It's about me and the Lord. What is this situation going to do? Is it going to drive me closer to the Lord or is it going to drive me away from him and closer to the world? So, so many times, listen, if I show it to you in the Bible, what will you do with it? Will you say, okay, and obey? Or if I show it to you in the Bible, will you say, yeah, I know, but. But what? But what? What else do you want? This is all I have to give you. It's God's word. But it works. I got nothing else for you. So men, does God's word say to, your love, to love your wife like Christ loved the church? Then do it. The church treats Christ like trash all the time. Does he ever stop loving? And listen, I get it. None of us are Christ, myself included. None of us are perfect. But we can't just quit. We have a command so let's walk in the Spirit as much as we can so that we fulfill the command as much as possible. Don't give yourself an excuse. And the same thing applies to the ladies as well. Do you think you are justified in not submitting? You have to reconcile that with God. You don't have a place to stand. We are to do what's right because it's right. And you try to figure it out in your human calculations and you say, no, it doesn't make sense. It's unfair. According to you, why are you the authority and God isn't? Who made you that? Where were you when the foundations of the, the world were laid? Where were you? He was there. He spoke it into creation. He gets to set the rules whether we like it or not. You're going to obey or you're not. Do what's right because it's right. But listen, when we do that, when we do things God's way, he always honors it. But you get to choose his way or your way. You don't get to do it both. You work according to his grace in your life in order to handle difficult situations or you work it out on your own. So just look at the picture from the interaction of the angel of the Lord and Hagar. One of the lessons is that grace and human effort are mutually exclusive. That's just a principle throughout the Bible by definition of the word grace. And we'll get to this more even in our last point. But I just read 1 Peter 2.18 about servants being subject to their masters, even the masters that are evil. But look at what the very next verse says. Verse 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering 
wrongfully. And listen, thankworthy means and is translated many other places as grace, as, as graciousness. Just think about that. If you are suffering wrongly but obey the Bible anyway, you become a candidate for God's grace. In that specific situation, God's saving grace is applicable to all, any, any who will accept it. But then if you're going through a situation, sometimes God reserves sustaining grace or whatever you want to call it for specific situations that you're dealing with. God gives you grace for that moment. And that's if you're willing to suffer wrongfully, endure grief for his sake, you are a candidate for God's grace. The Bible says, God giveth more grace unto the humble. He rejects the proud. And when we endure suffering for Christ's sake, guess what? We are like Christ. God exalted Christ because of his, his humility, according to Philippians chapter 2. And while as sinners we're never worthy of God's grace, it's a definition of, of, of grace, of God giving us something that we don't deserve. But when we suffer like Christ suffers, that gets God's attention. And you know what else the Bible says about grace and dealing with tough times? God told Paul it is sufficient. It's enough to get you through, even when you are returning to Sarah. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. It is enough. It is all that you need. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. But you can't have it both ways. You're only going to get that grace if you're willing to do it his way and humble yourself. So you're either going to roll according to your own understanding or you're going to obey God's word. But I encourage you to do the latter. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. And I just can't. Listen, the, the other pastors here would concur with me on this. I can't tell you how that verse applies to so many counseling situations that we're in. And to where it just makes perfect sense. So the, the, the person that is sitting across from me with the problem, it makes perfect sense in their mind what should happen even though they have the problem. And, and I'll say, well, okay, well, you know, this is, this is what God's word says. Well, I, I know, but. <laughs> but what? The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof are the ways of the dead. It seems right. It makes sense. It seems fair. According to me. Proverbs 30, 12 says, There's a generation that are pure in their own eyes. It is not washed from their filthiness. Listen, your way, even though it makes all the sense in the world to you. Like this, this has to, like they have to change or, or this isn't, this is not going to get, this is, you know, this is untenable. Okay, it makes all the sense in the world to you. Your way will mess things up. I promise you. 
You need to be in the way. You need to be, you need to do things his way. And the angel of the Lord said, Hagar, quit running. And let me solve your problems. And can I give that admonition to some of you? I don't know who needs to hear this. But some of you are doing things your own way. And you're running from the Lord. And your life is a mess as a result. Will you just quit running and surrender yourself to the Lord? Let him solve your problems? And I'm, I know it won't be easy, but it's right. And God will be honored, and you will for once have peace because his grace will be available to be applied to your situation as long as you act on what is correct. You have to do right. And that includes owning up to your mistakes, not running away from them, because the third solution to your dysfunction is that you need to accept all the consequences. Accept all the consequences, because sometimes, even after getting things right with the Lord, you must deal with the results of your sin. And the angel of the Lord said as much to Hagar. He didn't promise to solve all the problems that they brought about, but he did promise to help her through them. We're going we're gonna to continue to see that in our next point. But look at verse 12. He gave her some unfortunate news about her son. Talking about Ishmael. He said, and he will be a wild man. And his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. And this obviously, you know, this prophecy turned out to be true. And while I'm sure it burdened his mother to hear that, it's better to know the truth than pretend that it's not the case. So accept what is true even if you have some part in it, even if you, have some, you are somewhat to blame. And listen, I, I see this problem with many parents today. You know, they have children that are wild, but they won't admit it. And they make excuses, and they pretend not to see it. And they pretend not to know. And they don't accept the responsibility and the consequences of that choice. And this just goes back to being honest with yourself. That's the only way to truly help a, a, a wild child, which is an interesting word that we don't even have, have time to study, but you can go to... Job 11, and compare it to a wild ass, and, and, and you can get some insight into, into that word. But, um, but if you're willing to admit the truth, you can at least pray for them. If they're young, you can apply and cling to Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. And listen, for some parents, that's all they've got. But that's way better than nothing. It's way better than not accepting what is true to the point that you don't apply this verse, so you don't even have this promise. So start now and pray hard. And even if it's too late, you, they're old and you, you don't have the time to train them up. They're not a child anymore. Just pray. Admit your part and pray. Pray, pray, pray. But you're never going to do that if you don't accept the truth of your situation. And listen, understand very clearly, there is no such thing as a perfect parent. There's no such thing. We have all brought dysfunction into our children's lives at some level or another. Every single parent in this room, myself at the front of the line, 
have brought dysfunction into our kids' lives and, you know, and everything at some level or another. Okay, so what do you do with that? You accept it. And you accept any consequences that come along with it, but you don't give up. You do what's right. Start today. You start now. So if you feel what I'm saying, listen, make your pew a confessional today. Make this platform your altar today. And say, God, listen, I'm, I know I, at some level I messed it up. I don't even know all the ways I messed it up, but I know I did. I know I'm to blame at some level. And so you don't use things as an excuse. You don't use your environment as an excuse. You don't use your upbringing as an excuse. You don't use past relationships or current relationships as an excuse. You don't use anything as an excuse. You take responsibility and you tell the Lord, listen, I'm, I'm bringing myself to you today. I'm going to quit running. I'm going to quit pretending like this isn't the case. This is what it is. And, and whatever part I had in this, Lord, I'm sorry. Created me a clean heart, according to, to, to Psalm 51.10. And, and if you think that you're not in that, in that situation as a parent, I just want to remind you of 1 John 1, 1.8 that says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Listen, we've all messed up. But if you'll just close the door to that, close the door to your past, work with the Lord today. Let's work today. Let's do what we can today. And so if you still have a young child, do what the Bible says today. If you don't, let's do what we can today. We can pray. We can, we can do whatever we can do right today. You can become the right person today. Don't dwell in the past. There's no value in that. Again, that, that, that's, a worldly, that's a worldly philosophy. Okay, we've got to deal with all these things that went in the past. Well, no, get with God today. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before. I'm going to do right starting today. I'm going be, to become a good husband today. I know I wasn't yesterday. I'm going I'm to start today. I'm going to become a good wife today. I, I know I wasn't yesterday. I know I haven't been in the past. I'm going to start today. I'm going to become a good parent today. I know I messed up in the past, but I'm going to start today. That's what you can do. And listen, that will take you to the fourth solution of all the dysfunction we bring into our families because once you accept that, once you accept any consequences of your sin, you give it over to God. Then and only then are you able to accept and acknowledge that God cares. You can acknowledge that God cares. And this is where real help comes. This is where peace comes. Even when the situation is bad. And even when you're going back to Sarah. Because this is how God takes you through a problem even when he does not take you out of that problem. You see, truth be told, that's really what we want. We want to be removed from the problem. Sometimes that's not God's plan. Sometimes he tells us to go back to Sarah. But he'll help you through it. And you can know and trust and rest in the fact that he cares for you, that he loves you, and he wants and knows what is best for you. Look at verses 10 and 11. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, and it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. 
The Lord heard her affliction even though she didn't cry out to him. She was in the right spot and he heard her heart. He heard her tears. And then look at Hagar's realization of this in verses 13 and 14. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? There's such an interesting and a comforting phrase that Hagar uses there in verse 13. Thou God seest me. That's a desire that we all hear about today. People desire to be affirmed and seen. And that's even a, a popular phrase today in, in the new woke world that we live in. I see you. Right? And people that deal with discrimination or unfair treatment, whatever. I, I see you. That's a phrase you hear. Listen, that doesn't mean anything. Because it does not matter if I see you or if you see me. All that matters is who God sees. But if you're found at the fountain of his word and are willing to listen and obey what he says, even if things are hard, he sees you. And with his grace being applied, that can be enough. So for all of you neglected wives out there, if you'll do things God's way, he sees you. For all you mistreated husbands, if you'll do things God's way, he sees you. For every parent who has a wayward child, if you're willing to live your life his way, he sees you, he hears you, and he knows, and he cares. You have to believe that. And you should believe that because that is what the Bible says. Psalm 9, verses 9 and 10, the Lord will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Psalm 34, 17, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of their trouble. Psalm 55, 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And we, and we could just go on and on with verse after verse like that. We, we could have spent the entire morning looking at the goodness of God in our life and how he cares for us, especially in bad situations. Because that's who God is. He is good, and that never changes to, no matter what your human calculations are adding up to. Because sometimes in our life when things are bad, it, it seems like he does change and that he doesn't care. I'm sure Hagar felt that she hadn't done anything wrong. Why'd she have to go back? And when we face those same feelings in our life, we have the, the truth of God's word opposed by this problem. And it can make us think that God doesn't care. That is exactly what Jesus' disciples thought when they were on the ship to go over across the sea. Jesus was with them. He was asleep. This storm rises up. And they had a promise that they were going to the other side. 
And yet, in that moment, they, they forgot about what God's word said, and they were faced with this problem. And in Mark 4.38, it says, And he was in the hinder part of the ship, Jesus, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest not that we perish? Do you not care? We're dying here. We're going to die. How can you not even care about us? And so they raised this question. How could you let this happen? God, why don't you care about us? You see, they didn't even ask him to calm the storm in faith based on a promise that they already had from him. What they asked was, why don't you care? And we need to understand this. Because this world wants you to doubt the truth of God's word. Because it hates you and it does not want you to glorify God with your life. And the great danger for our life is, is, is when things seem to be spinning out of control. And, and, and life is hard and we're getting hit. We let those circumstances and our experience control what we think about God and what we think God thinks about us. You see, they raised a question about the love of Christ based on the pain they were suffering for following Christ. But how often do we do the same thing? And your reason, God doesn't care. Because if God cared, things wouldn't be like this. If God cared, things wouldn't be falling apart like they are. If God cared, my marriage wouldn't be in, in this state. If God cared, my children wouldn't be crazy. If God cared, my life would not be in such turmoil. So, so do you see what that is? That's taking our eyes off of God's truth, of God's word, and then just beginning to, to see all the circumstances and letting that dictate what we think about God and what we know to be true based on what he said. And many times the problems of life appear to negate the promises of God. But brothers and sisters, that's a lie. God cares. But you just have to do things his way. It's not, so if you choose to do things your way, it's not that he doesn't care. He still cares. He just lets you do it. And the results are what they are. But if you'll do things his way, he'll work it out. Right? We love to claim Romans 8.28, and we should. But we have to meet the condition. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Such a powerful and great promise. All things, all things, everything, all of it works together for good. But not for everybody. To them that, to them that love God. To them that are called according to his purpose. And you can't count on your life working out, first of all, if you're not saved. But then beyond that, if you don't love God, and, and, and how do we prove that we love God? John 14, 15 tells us, if you love me, keep my commandments. So as long as we're willing to do things his way, then it's all going to work out. It's a promise that you have from God. But this, listen, this right here, this is a solution. Knowing and believing that God cares for you even when it does not seem like anyone else does. Believing that God sees you even when it seems like you are invisible to the rest of the world. Even to those in your very home. If you believe it and rest in that truth, you can have a peace that passeth all understanding. 
You can feel a love that no one can explain and it fills you. It's a love that Ephesians 3.19 describes. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. You can have a peace that passes understanding. You can experience a love that passeth all knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And when you know that to be true, your dysfunction subsides. God works it all out. Listen, in spite of how you feel, there are solutions to your family dysfunction available. But you have a role. You have to arrive at the source of true counsel. You need to hear God's word and then you need to act upon it. You need to obey what's right. You can't do it on your own. And when, even when there are consequences for your actions, accept them. And then also accept and acknowledge his love, his care. Because it will always be there to help you. If you're willing to do things his way. And praise the Lord for that. Our God truly is good. And I hope you believe that this morning.